Before we get into tonight, I wanted to uh, bring your attention to something. There you go. That's a good church. Thank you very much. Hey, in your bulletins on, on the uh, events there down at the bottom, it's a little box, red letters, summer's almost here. I wanted to just uh, bring up something. Summertime, you know, in the Pacific Northwest is such a blessing because we wait all year to be able to actually go outdoors and do anything, and then it happens. And so very often, uh, many of us Northwesterners will not only go on vacation, but just take days and weekends out and go out and enjoy the sunshine and so forth. So I just wanted to remind you, of course, if you're gone during the summer months, if you're away, you're not here for service, a couple things. One is, uh, do remember, we, we now have all the sermons available via podcast, so you can listen to those at uh, iTunes if you're an iTunes user, Buzzsprout if you're not, and on either of those sites, you just search Portland Vineyard Church and it will come up and you'll be able to hear me. How fun, how fun that is. Uh, no, you don't get to see me. That's not going to happen. You get to hear me. Um, I don't look that good on video. I, you know, it adds 10 pounds, and I don't need that. So, hey, the other thing I want to mention, if you're gone on a, you miss Sunday or consecutive Sundays or many Sundays, uh, and, and you're not here and able to contribute via the Sunday offering, just a reminder, of course, summertime, we're focused on other things. We're out there. Our expenses don't change in the summer. They don't go down. So I would encourage you as well, uh, you can take an envelope from the back and mail in your tithe if you're not going to be here. you will be gone for, for a week or consecutive weeks. You also can do a number of families just use a bill pay through their, their company, through their work. You can do that as, as you would any other pay, any other bill that you would pay and have that uh, sent to us by mail directly from your, your office or your company. So those are a couple options for you if you're going to be gone during the summer. So just keep that in mind. Um, so we wrapped up last week a series on politics. I appreciate the feedback I got from a very, very positive feedback, which, again, I appreciate because it was a little nerve-wracking. You never know how people are going to respond to that kind of stuff. Um, Sean brought actually something up to me, you know, at the end of the service last week that I wanted to mention, and that is we talk about kingdom living and kingdom life and serving and loving and caring for those in need. And, and I, I talked uh, specifically about abortion last week, but it could be any number of situations in which we're faced with the potential of helping someone. And the truth is we can't all help everyone. And on any given day, you know, forget the whole big wide world. Right here in Washington County, we're not going to be able to care for all the needs that are out there. And I I just want to encourage you that I, I don't want anybody to hear me saying you're not doing enough or that every time you pass by someone and don't stop to help them, that you're somehow, uh, you know, opting out of the kingdom of God. That, that we really want to have a heart that says, I, I hear the voice of the Lord, I follow him, I do what he's doing, and, and really commit in, in, in that regard. So anyway, just again, appreciate the feedback, and you guys are awesome. You do a tremendous, tremendous job of caring for those uh, that are in need, in, in whether that's emotional, spiritual, physical in our community. Thank you for that. I told you last week also, I'm going to start a new series on family tonight. Uh, Jeremy asked me earlier, I had solicited input, sermon input from you guys. I got some very good ideas. I have a list of those. And I will be uh, in weeks ahead, months ahead, touching on some of the ideas you guys passed in. But this was not among those. Uh, Nobody suggested family. 
Uh, you know, I talked to people, to some of you, others throughout the week and different times, and it was one of those things that just sort of pierced my heart. I thought, gosh, uh, it seems like, you, you know, sometimes you talk to two or three people over the course of a day or two, and they're all sort of dealing with similar kinds of situations, and, and the Spirit of God will sometimes use that to sort of direct me, or m- maybe same with you, but I just, I, it just seemed like, man, family is such a tough issue, isn't it? We all have families. Um, we all love our families, sort of, sometimes. We want to be loved by our families. Uh, sometimes we're separated. Some of us, are, in today's world, many of us are separated from our family by geography, by distance. We, we, we live a different lifestyle than, you know, historically people lived. And so some of you I know are here are thousands or many thousands of miles away from your family, and you, you may not have opportunity to interact with them on the way, the way that others do. Some of us are not separated by geography as much as we are just by emotional disconnect. And things have happened in the course of, of our history and in our life that has separated us, and sometimes our families are uh, maybe, you know, in g- geographically very close to us, but we, we still have some separation there. Family can be... Um, so so difficult at times you know maybe you know you're somebody you you're you know in a family structure system and maybe your mom is on your case all the time you hey, do you have a you have a boyfriend yet you know uh well hey mom i'm 30 and i don't have a boyfriend yet so just leave me alone and and you know you can identify with that maybe you know you you are wanting to follow after god and you read in scripture it says honor your father and mother and maybe your father and mother have very little in them that's honorable. And so you're conflicted, and you wonder, what, what do I do with that? How do I deal with that situation? Um, maybe you're in a marriage, and uh, you're in a marriage with, with a spouse that you don't trust. And maybe you uh, sort of walk through that marriage with sort of a silent, uh, a silent, quiet, just quietly despise that spouse and really don't care for them, but you walk it out anyway because it's the right thing to do. Maybe you are a young parent and you're raising kids, which I know a lot of you are, and you do your best to raise those kids, and sometimes you just would rather not. They're driving you a little bit crazy right now. And uh, uh, you just... You, what, and, Maybe you have in-laws who are driving you crazy because they know exactly what you need to do to raise those kids and are not shy about letting you know what you should be doing to raise them. So, I mean, there's a hundred other potential scenarios. Family can be challenging. But family is very, very important. Family is important uh, in terms of our growth and development, in terms of our identity, our well-being, who we are, so much of uh, who we become in the course of life is formed in the context of family. It's a, it's a big issue. It's an important issue. And I, I would add this. It, it's, it's a big, important issue to God as well. Uh, the Bible has an enormous amount to say about family. Now, I've never uh, you know, done those little studies, how many verses on this or that, so I don't know how it ranks. I would say this, though. There's, there's not only a lot in there about family, but the Bible really is a story of family, isn't it? I mean, it begins with Adam and Eve 
you know, created imperfection in the Garden of Eden. They're together in this uh, the first marriage ordained by God. And you would think, gosh, that would go well. How long did it take for that to go wrong? Not very long. Very quickly, communication uh, in the marriage wasn't what it should have been. One thing leads to another, and, and there, there's, there's trouble in paradox. Uh, we don't move very far past them, and we're, we're faced with uh, a rather extreme case of sibling rivalry and their boys. The, uh, the faith that, that we all follow uh, is founded by uh, you know, the founders, the fathers of our faith were called patriarchs in the Bible, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we read their stories. And once again, I mean, I, some of you were around a few years ago. I went through the entire book of Genesis. It took a year. But you read the story of the patriarchs, a lot of drama, a lot of drama. You know, I mean, just all sorts of issues, jealousy, infidelity, more sibling rivalry. It goes on and on. Sometimes you want, I want to say, you know, I don't do this, but I am tempted at times. People say, hey, you know, my family is this and that. I go, just read Genesis. You'll feel better. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, I, good night. Thank you, Jesus. You know, there's, there was a mess in there. Uh, but the Bible really, really, you know, indicates to us, I think, that family is significant not only in our own personal formation, but, but really in, in, in terms of our faith as well. So, you know, he, he, here's the deal. O- over the next uh, couple of months, I, I'm going to do my very best to address some of those issues. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about children. We're going to talk about family relationships. We're going to deal with some of the hard issues. We'll talk about divorce and, and things that maybe we would rather not uh, think about and look at as people of faith that are related to our family. Um, but what I, w- I want to do tonight and next week, it's going to take me two weeks because there's too much information for one night, is I, I want to give us a little bit of a theology of family, s- sort of a framework for looking at what the Bible says about family, and and, and in, in the context of that a little bit, who we are as the family of God. So um, it, it's as, as it would be, on, on the night that the bulb burns out in a projector and I have no overhead. Uh, there's a lot of scripture, so that's a warning. I, I, have, I have a multitude of scripture tonight. You're not going to be able to see them, so you're going to just have to trust me. I'm going to read them to you. I will give you the references. You can look them up later, but you're going to just have to, to trust me with that. But let's, let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to, to grow and learn from your word. I pray that you would speak to us tonight through your word and that you would grant me the grace to communicate accurately and effectively and meaningfully uh, those truths and the purpose that you have in it for us. In your name we pray. Amen. I think uh, one of the things that I have always uh, maintained, I've told you guys before, I've talked about context. Context is so important in understanding the Bible. Bible is, uh, y- you know, it's, it's, it's very, very valuable. It's very meaningful. It's powerful for us uh, in terms of our spiritual growth. Uh, but understanding the Bible is not always easy, is it? Anybody ever have trouble understanding the Bible? A couple of you, one or two? Yeah. Thank you for being so honest. The rest of you? It is. It's challenging. And so we need all the help we can get. And I, and I think it's important for us to understand context uh, that the Bible was, was written in uh, to help us really grasp what was the author saying. What were those who were under the inspiration of the Spirit writing these texts? What were they trying to communicate to those that they were originally communicating to? Um, in terms of family, 
ancient Israel uh, throughout the Old Testament, first century Israel, New Testament, and virtually all uh, cultures, traditional historic cultures, functioned in what was, we mentioned the patriarchs a minute ago, very patriarchal societies, patriarchal structures where the father really controlled the family. The father controlled the wife. The father controlled the children. Uh, it, was, it was his will uh, that was done, if you will. Um, even, you know, the, the, the sons grew up and married and had families of their own. Uh, as long as that patriarch, that father, was still alive, they were still sort of under his authority. They, they, they weren't sort of uh, independent or separate entities as of yet. You actually, you really wouldn't get married. You wouldn't enter into business. You, you, you wouldn't uh, resolve conflict in terms of maybe even legal issues without the father's input. Uh, and, and, and here, that extended even as far as religion. You, you didn't believe what you chose to believe. You believed what your father told you to believe and what he believed. Now, all of us, as believers in Christ, we raise our kids, we pray for them, we, we teach them the Bible, uh, and we hope and, and, and we pray that at a day when we, we understand that there will come a time when they'll have to make that conscious decision on their own. What are they going to do? Are, are, are they going to follow Christ, or are they going to grow dreadlocks and smoke pot and become Rastafarians? Um, there, there may be some other options. But, but the point is, they're going to make a decision. And, and we hope that they will. We pray that they will. We, we, we invest. We do all we can do. But in, in the cultures that the Bible was written in, that was not the case. What the father believed, the children believed. That's the way it worked. And there's, there's, there's examples of that in Scripture for us. One of those is in Acts chapter 16. Um, some of you will be familiar. You remember the story. Paul and Silas are out ministering. Uh, they, they encounter some different situations, kind of end up getting arrested, as occasionally happened then, and maybe in some cultures today. Uh, they are arrested, they're, they're beaten, and thrown in jail. And then late at night, they're in prison, they're in or jail at least, I don't know if it's prison, but they're in a cell, they're worshiping, they're praying, and the Spirit of God causes an earthquake to happen. The, the jail doors, it says, are thrown open, and the chains fall off the prisoners bad, bad, bad situation if you're the jailer. The jailer then, who hours before had beaten these men, is now afraid, and he runs into them and says this. The jailer called for lights. He rushed, this is Acts 16, the end of the chapter, uh, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out, and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. Now, I think we tend to read that through our context. And we think, oh, wow, you know, it was prophetic. They were prophesying. They were saying, what happened here tonight was such a great miracle that not only will you believe, but your family, your whole house will believe. But in fact, what Paul and Silas were really responding to was a cultural reality. As the father of that family, if the jailer converted, the family converted. If the jailer becomes a believer, the family follows and they become a believer. That was the depth, really, of, of the authority that the patriarch, that the father had in the culture that the Bible was written in. Now, there, there were a few understandings. There were really three primary understandings, responsibilities that people had and they maintained and held on to in terms of uh, family life, cultural 
sort of responsibilities. And these are the three things. And again, I, I wish I had them for you, but uh, I don't. So there you go. Uh, the first was to bring honor to the Father. To bring honor to the Father. You conduct your life in a manner that will uphold the Father's reputation. You don't do stupid things. Because if you do, it not only is a, a negative reflection on you and who you are, it's also going to mar your father's reputation. And that is really the more important dynamic of the two. So the first thing you do is, is honor your father. That was one responsibility that was maintained. The second was to carry out the will of the father. Again, you don't really call your own shots. You don't believe. You don't start a business. You don't get married. You don't, you don't really do the things that maybe are in your heart to do w- without really becoming rebellious. But instead, you carry out the will of the Father. You, if, there's, if there's a family business, you continue in that family business, and those things are passed on from generation to generation. The third thing that you do is to propagate or continue the family. You be fruitful and multiply, and you make sure that you carry on the family name. And again, we, we've probably heard different cultural you, you know, realities, different teachings at times where ma- male children were, were deemed as much more valuable than female children because they carried on the family name. And so those were the three responsibilities, to bring honor to the Father, to carry out the will of the Father, and to propagate the family. Now, uh, next week in part two of this, we will come back to those, and they will play a little bit of a role in the sort of follow-up tonight. But to tonight, but I wanted to just share those with you again to just illustrate the reality of that patriarchal society and the context that the Bible was written in. Ultimate allegiance to the father and to the family. Strongest, most foundational, most fundamental sort of uh, uh, piece of ancient culture was that reality. the, the, The ultimate allegiance, the honor, and the will of, of the Father. And when we read the Bible, uh, we should keep that in mind. We want, we want to keep that in mind in the Bible, uh, and, and in particular the New Testament. And we will, I'm going to tonight almost, ex- I think, exclusively um, focus our attention on the New Testament, but throughout Scripture, but especially the New Testament. God is our Father. God is our Father, and, and we are His children. Now, that's not, um, it's not a metaphor. It's not poetic language. The Bible never says that we are like God's children. It says repeatedly, time and time and time and time again, that we, we are his children. John tells us, John 1, 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not like children, but to become children of God. Now, we know in a, in a general sense God is creator. He's the father of all. And so he's really, you know, everyone is God's child in, in, a, in a broad sort of general sense. But when we receive, when we believe, when we begin to trust in him, there's something unique that happens. There's a dynamic that takes place inside of us. Uh, by which we are grafted into God's family and we become his children in a, in a very, very real and powerful way. Romans 8, Romans 8, I'm going to read 14 and 15. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. 
Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. So, when we submit to Him, when we believe in Him, we cry out. We don't cry in fear. We don't cry that we might be condemned or judged or punished for some reason. No, what we cry out is, Dad, Dad. That, that's what we cry out. It's, it's a precious cry of a little child, you know, running to their father. Um, that word Abba, some of you have heard teaching before. It's an Aramaic word. Very intimate term. It's not a formal term. It doesn't mean, you know, God our Father at all. It really, it really means Daddy. It's a very, very personal, I- intimate term. And in receiving Him, we enter into His family and, and into a relationship with the Father uh, that, that really carries that sense with the Daddy. We, 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 run, we run to Him. I want to look at uh, the exchange Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 to to further this thought a little bit. You remember uh, Nicodemus is, uh, you know, a a high-ranking person, uh, and he comes to Jesus at night. He's a little bit fearful of what people might think, and he says, uh, he, he asks Jesus some questions. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. We're born again. Now, that term has... uh, it's, it's one of those terms that sadly has sort of been diminished and lost some meaning over time. And it, 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 it used in such a way, frankly, I think, you know, in maybe recent history, be, became somewhat even derogatory. Oh, you're one of those born-agains. You're born again. And we've used it to, to the point where really it, it has... Uh, it's, it's lost its value and its, its sense of meaning and purpose. And I will admit at times, I don't like using that term for, for that reason. And yet really what it means, what, what, is, what Jesus is communicating to Nicodemus when, when he uses that term is that we really are born again. We really are born of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. You're not here if you weren't born. If you're here, you were born. Uh, It's that simple. And spiritually speaking, if you're here, you were born of the Spirit. If you're part of God's family, you really were born of the Spirit. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You're born into a family. And when you're born into a family, you, you begin to take on the likeness and the characteristic of that family. What I intended to do right here, I, I have a, a picture that I was going to put up on the screen of my grandson, Caspian. And I was going to say, you know, a lot of people look at Caspian and they say, well, he looks a lot like his dad. And I'm sure that he does in many ways look like his dad. Uh, that would be true. But in this particular picture, you can see his, his big blue eyes very clearly. And uh, I was going to mention that maybe, just maybe, he might have got those In addition, in this picture, he happens to be sucking down a Frappuccino, and the Starbucks label on the cup is very visible. 
And I wanted to mention to you that that's not a learned behavior. Frankly, in addition to his blue eyes, I believe his his penchant for Starbucks has also been passed down by his grandfather. The point is simply this. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that was a bad thing. Uh, The point is simply this, though, that when we're born into a family... We, we take on the likeness. We take on the characteristics. We, take, we, have, we have the DNA of that family in us and with us, and we begin to, to look like them. And when we're born of the Spirit, we have God's DNA. And we begin to take on His likeness. We, we cry out, Daddy, and we, we begin to look like God and act like God and live like God and love like God and forgive like God and care the way that God cares and be compassionate the way that He's compassionate and have the peace of God in our hearts and the joy of God in our hearts. We take on His likeness. His DNA is in us. When we're born of the Spirit, we begin to become like Him. Some of us are probably um, sitting here right now thinking to yourselves maybe, gosh, I don't feel much like God. And I don't feel like I look like God. And I don't feel like I love like God. In fact, the truth is a lot of times I'm just kind of cranky. I'm grumpy. I'm not a very nice person to be around. I have other issues in my life. And how can this be? How can that be true? If I'm born of the Spirit, and if I have God's DNA, and if I'm in His likeness, and if I'm, if I'm taking on His characteristics, how come I'm, I'm, I'm just the way that I am? How, how can that be? Jesus told Nicodemus, you're born of the Spirit. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Our Spirit is the innermost part of our being. It's maybe, in, in a sense, the deepest part of us. But, but here's the thing. It's not all of us. We still have this thing uh, called the flesh. It's a part of who we are. We also have this little thing up here, uh, our brain, our mind. That's a very big part of, of, of who we are. And so while our spirit, uh, when we experience that new birth, is infused with the spirit of God and the characteristics and the DNA and the likeness of God, our, our, our flesh, our bodies, and our mind are, are still functioning <clears throat> in an identity that was formed in, in this world in this life. It's still patterned after the things of this world. That identity was formed in us um, in, a, in a multitude of other ways. God's saying, no, you're my child. You're my, you're my precious little one. But our, our, our minds and sometimes our bodies are saying, no, I'm this or that because that identity was, was formed uh, you know, by, by our parents and our culture and our surroundings and by TV and by the media. And, and uh, you know, I, I had a bunch of pictures of, of families I was going to show you earlier. One of them was of the Kardashians and it's sort of the, this model family, uh, you, you know, and I was going to say, you know, so our identity is formed by those things and we see that and God's saying, no, no, don't be like the Kardashians, bad, bad. And our, our body's saying, no, I have to be that way. If I don't look like that, if I'm not beautiful, I'm of no value, I'm of no worth. If I don't make money, if I'm not sexy, if I, if I don't have these characteristics, then, then I'm not worth anything. The world says I'm, I'm not valuable, I don't mean anything. Anybody, God says, no, that's not who you are. You have value, you have worth. Far beyond all that stuff, I don't care about that stuff because you're my child. I love you the way that you are. You look like me. 
You look like me. God looks at you, and He sees you. He sees His likeness in you. He says, you look like me. And we see ourselves, and we see all that other stuff, and we see the world, and, and, and it causes this conflict to rage inside of us. We've all experienced that. We've all experienced that saying, no, I, I, you know, I know I'm a child of God. I know I am. I know I am. But at the same time, why am I such a mess? And there's this conflict going on inside. That's why Paul says we need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We take every thought captive because we want our minds, our brain, to begin to function in and understand and believe the reality that's spiritually already true inside of us. He also says in Romans 2, don't conform to the pattern of this world. That's the pattern. The pattern of this world says, if I don't perform, if I'm not successful, if I don't do certain things, I'm of no value. I'm meaningless. That's the pattern of this world. God says, no, don't conform to that pattern. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Bring your mind into conformity with who I say you are and who you really, in fact, already are. Thank you. And can I say this? That's why fellowship is so important. Go to church. Just do it. Because, look, when you're by yourself, you get bombarded with that stuff. And you have no backup. You have no support. And I'm going to tell you, the weight of it is too much to bear on your own. And, and you will buckle. I don't care who you are. You will buckle under the pressure, and you'll begin to give in and say, yes, that's true, that's right. Without success, without all that other stuff, without all the trappings of this world, I'm nothing. I mean nothing. I'm of no value. I'm of no worth. But when you have encouragement, you have support, you have people around you that will, that will respond to you in a positive and encouraging way, they're going to see that in you. They're going to hear you say those things. They're going to see you begin to respond. They're going to no, don't go that direction. That's not who you are. That's not what you're about. This is who you are. And they'll remind you. They'll feed you encouraging words. They'll send you little scriptures and texts. Those things are so vital. We can't fight this thing alone. So that's my little go-to-church interlude there. Um, this is important. This will be the most important thing you hear. So take notes. You guys don't take notes, do you? Nobody takes notes anymore. Somebody, oh, a couple of you do. Look at, oh, are you taking notes? You're, there's an app for that. All right. Okay, here's the important thing. We are not transformed. We don't become holy we don't look and act more like God we, so that we can become children of God. Okay? You don't grow into being a child of God. You're born into being a child of God. You're already a child of God. And, and that's why then we can, by the Spirit, begin to be transformed into His likeness. Because we're already children of God. That's the most important thing. Look, my kids... Our, our, uh, my kids don't have to act a certain way to be my kids. Now, sometimes I wish that were true. But it's not. The, the, the reality is, regardless of how they act, they're my kids. Because they're my kids, I hope they'll act a certain way. Does that make any sense to you? Because we're God's kids, he hopes we'll act a certain way. But acting a certain way doesn't make us God's kids. God gives us the new birth on the front end. We're already his kids. We don't transform our way into being a child of God. We're a child of God, and that's why we can be transformed into his likeness. 
We're already his kids. You may not look like it. You may not think like it. You may not feel like it. You may not act like it all the time. But that doesn't make it any less true. You, you are children of God. And for all those who believe, all those who trust in him, all those who say yes to Jesus, we are children of God. And the Spirit of God is in us. It is in us. First John, I really wish you could read this one and see it. First John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Past tense. What great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God, exclamation point. And that is what we are. That is what we are. Double exclamation point. That's God's verdict. That's what God says. I've poured my love out on you. You're my, you're, you're my children. You're children of God. That's who you are. Is God wrong? Did God miss it? Did God miss it? The next verse is interesting. First John 3, 2. Dear friends, now, we, we are children of God. This is important, too. Second, third, maybe the most important thing. We are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. We are children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're not there yet. We are his kids. Are we fully in his image? Do we act like his kids? No, we screw up a lot. We mess up a lot. We miss the mark from time to time. We're we're not all the way there. But someday he will return, and when we see him in his perfection, then we will be like him. That's going to be a cool thing. We don't know what that's going to be like. Some people think they do. Oh, they've got it all figured out. Let me tell you, you, you have no idea. We have no concept, no... We cannot imagine what it will possibly be like in that day, in that time. What transformation will take place in our lives? This much we know, though. This much we know. We're going to look just like him. We're going to look just like him. We're going to look just like him because we have his DNA. We're in, we're in his image. We're in his likeness. We can't see that now. We can't see it now because there's stuff in the way right now. There's a lot of mud and, and slime and sin on our lives. There's, there's pain and brokenness and scars on our lives. Our lives are, 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 are a bit of a mess, but someday that's all going to be cleaned up. That's all going to be gone. That's all going to be washed away. That's all, I, I was thinking about it this morning. I don't know if you're like me. Uh, it, I thought it just will just be like a little baby's bottom, you know, just so smooth and perfect, you just want to pinch it. Be so fresh and so new. So right. Right now, today, we're moving in that direction, though. That's the way we're going. That, that's, that's the course. That's the path we're on. We're already the children of God. We're, we're moving that way. And look, on a good day, on a, on a good day, we're putting on display God's DNA. We're showing the world around us what a child of God looks like. Now, on a bad day, we might not. But on a good day, we really are. We're displaying for the way, hey, this is what a child of God looks like. This is how a child of God acts. This is, this is what a child of God is. Now, again, we want to understand that in light of the patriarchal culture and framework of the first century that this was written. So, if we have a common father, Abba, and if we have common DNA, 
What does that make us? Yeah, it's not a trick question. It makes us a family. Again, not a metaphor, not poetic language. We're not like a family. We really are a family. Somebody said, you know, you don't get to choose your family. And I was thinking about that in context of Spirit. You don't really get to choose your family. It'd be nice if we could, wouldn't we? Sometimes we try. Sometimes we go to great lengths. I don't like this part of the family anymore, so I'm going to go over here. I like this part better. But you don't really get to choose your family because we're connected by that Spirit. And I think it behooves us to learn to love the family in, in their frailty and their brokenness in the same way that we learn to love our physical families in their frailty and their brokenness. Family is family. It's defined by bloodline or spiritual family defined by spiritual line. We have the same father. We have the same DNA. One of the most common descriptions of the church in the New Testament is that of a family. It talks about family over and over again. And again, that's not like a family. It really, We really, really are a family. Here's Hebrews 2.11. Both the one who makes people holy, that would be who? Jesus, the one who makes people holy. And those who are made holy, that would be who? That would be us, Jesus and us. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed of them. He's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to call you brother or sister. You, you, you might be ashamed sometimes to be called brother or sister. But Jesus is not. Jesus is not ashamed. Jesus says, hey, he's my brother. And when he falls down, he's still my brother. And when he screws up, he's still my brother. And when he goes completely sideways and off the rails and just completely wrecks his life, you know what? He's still my brother. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus is fully God and fully man. As God, he's our Lord and Savior. As man, he's our brother. We have the same DNA. We have the same Father. He took on the DNA of humanity. Jesus came, and he then puts on display the DNA of the Father. Jesus looks like a child of God when they get it right. He looks like what a child of God is supposed to look like all the time. That's why John says, when he appears, we'll be like him, for we will see him as he is. When he appears, we'll see him in his fullness, and we'll, we'll take on that image and that likeness again. He's the firstborn of the family. He's our brother, and he's not ashamed of us. Now, you know, uh, I was thinking about this too. It doesn't happen much anymore. Some churches used to be more inclined to call everybody brother and sister, right? Anybody, maybe none of us are alive long enough to grow up in that. A, few, a couple of you are, yeah. There's a few old people. If you're, if you're old, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. But used to be more and more churches would, would, would refer to one another by brother. Hey, you know, uh, Brother Adam, how are you? Good evening. Good evening, Brother Sean. Yeah, brother Glenn. Uh, you know, and, and we don't do that much anymore, I think, 
for a couple reasons. One, it sounds kind of hokey, really. It, it kind of does. It's, it's a little weird. And, and to me, I always, it sounds cultish to me, does it not to you? When I hear, you go to a church, you're calling everybody brother, I'm looking for the Kool-Aid. I'm just going, I don't like this. This isn't good. But the truth is, I think, maybe, maybe they're on to something. There's something in that because really what that does is that serves as a continual reminder of who we really are. You don't feel like a brother or sister some days, but when somebody, hey, Brother Glenn, oh yeah, that's right. That's who I am. I really, this is my family. I'm part of this family. There's a connection, a reminder that no, you know what? On my worst day, I'm still a brother. And so I, I you know, I'm not suggesting that we all adopt that principle. I'm just saying, it's a conscious reminder of who we really are. Jesus was the, the, the last Adam, the second Adam, or the last Adam, okay? So as the, as the last Adam, he is the first of a new race of people. The first family, here's what happened, okay? This is, this is uh, you, you know, Bible history 101, okay? The first family screwed it up. They screwed it up so bad, they they were no longer able to put on display the image of the Father. You couldn't see who the Father was through them any longer. It was that messed up. So essentially, God said, do over. He he gave us all a mulligan. He said, I'm going to send Jesus, and Jesus will be the firstborn of a new family, the family of Christ. He will be in my image, and he will be the one as a person that other people can look to and say, this is what a child of God really is looks like. And he sent Jesus to begin a whole new race, a new family that we are now a part of. And in the way that the first family failed, this family cannot fail. Peter tells us, 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, which could go bad, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Jesus is the seed. It can't go bad. Can't miss. This, this family cannot fail. It's a whole new race of people joined by the Spirit of God, the DNA of the Father, extended through the Spirit by Jesus to us. And I'll I'll finish with this last verse. And Jeremy, if you want to come up and tickle the ivories, not tinkle the ivories as I previously said, but tickle the ivories uh, and give us a little uh, worship background here for ministry. I just want to close with Ephesians 2. Uh, I want to read 15 and 16 and then verse 19. Just to end the idea that we are the family of God, and we really truly are joined at the Spirit, so to speak. This is God's purpose for us, to be that family. His purpose was to create in himself, Jesus, one new humanity out of the two. The two being Israel, the family that screwed it up, that were no longer doing the job, and those outside of Israel, the Gentiles, to bring them together, making peace in one body, and reconcile them both to God through the cross. We all now are connected and part of that same family. And then, and I'll close with this, he says in verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So we are the family of God. Why don't you guys stand up? I want to pray tonight specifically for anyone who uh, has felt like you're not part of the family for one reason or another. Maybe you um, 
Who knows? I don't know. Felt like you're not part of the family. Maybe uh, you've been ashamed. Maybe you've thought Jesus was ashamed of you and felt like that, but I just want to say that's not the case. So we want to pray for you tonight. I'm going to invite as we just close with a little bit of worship. Ministry team will come up front. If you'd like prayer tonight, you can make your way up here. I know there's not very many of us, but gosh, why would you go home feeling that way if you don't have to? 